2013, my wife and I were married on November um, 2013. And the following year, um, we just so happened to be invited to um, Haley's roommate, one of her best friends for a few years, um, for her wedding. And it was on the same weekend that our wedding was. And so um, so we were, we were going to Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Anybody ever been to Eureka Springs, Arkansas? It's a really pretty place. Anybody been to Branson? It's like a mini, 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 like Branson-ish. Um, you know, it's very seasonal. Um, lots of beautiful wedding venues, kind of in the heart of the, the Ozark Mountains, um, which is just a really, really beautiful part of the area. And, uh, and so they were going to get married on November 8th, 2014, and our wedding anniversary was November 9th, 2013. And so I thought, hey, this is, this is my chance to on our first anniversary and like, I'm just going to make it really good. And so I got out the, the, uh, the, the Eureka Springs um, hotel guide and started looking through it. Eureka Springs, you know, what was the best hotel? And, and so the best hotel in Eureka Springs is, is actually their most historic hotel um, that they had renovated. And it was something like 100 years old. And, and, um, and, and it, it, it was just, and, and so I called and, and they said that they had an, an, what they called a honeymoon package. And I was like, oh yeah, we're doing it right. First anniversary, getting the honeymoon package. And it was supposed to be one of their best rooms. And it came with, you know, flowers in a vase in the room and chocolates on the pillow waiting for you as you came in. And, and you got like a, an $80 um, food credit for their restaurant that was on the same level as the roof of the hotel. And I was like, man, you can't beat that for a first anniversary. Now, how many of you kind of already know where this is going as I set up this story? Because you could beat it. Because when we got there, the old renovated hotel was probably rene- renovated in like 1972. And the, the rooftop dinner was actually a burger bar in a bar on the roof of the hotel. And, and so we had this huge grand idea of our first anniversary. The room was so... I don't want to. I don't want to say too much. Let's just say we didn't want to take showers without like our, her sandals on, because the tub was moldy and it was stinky and it was just like this is the worst. So we ended up just staying. We did, we ended up checking in that morning, and then instead of staying that night, we just said, "Hey, we can't do this. We got a refund," and we drove five hours after the wedding to go up to Kansas City to stay in a hotel. We got there like at three o'clock in the morning because we just said what we thought we were getting and what reality was was completely two different things. It was a world of difference. Now, how many of you have ever been there before? You bought something, you were sold something, you thought something about someone, and then as you invited them into your life, you quickly discovered that what they portrayed and who they were were two different things. Or what you purchased and what it actually was going to be was two different things. I think we all get this idea, and we all can completely relate to what we thought was going to be 
in the world of difference to what reality said it was going to be. We've been there. It's the, it's the Facebook posts of, um, it went around a few years ago, and it's been around in a few different forms and fashions of, of the young African-American guy, you know, dressed up, looking like, you know, some gang member, and you watch this video of him approaching an old lady, you know, coming into a grocery store, coming out of a grocery store, and you think, be bad, what is he going to do to her to see him open the door and say, hello, ma'am, can I take your groceries to your car for you, and walk her across the, the, the parking lot, and carry her. It's, it's what we think our mind tells us reality is going to be, and then seeing something completely different. We get those stories. And this is the story. We're in this series called Parables, or Stories, about the parables of Jesus. And this is the story that Jesus is talking about. If you'll grab your notes, or, or you can grab a bulletin behind, they're, they're, they're in the bulletin. This is, this is what it says. It says, Jesus told him another parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did weeds come from? He said, An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? He says, No, 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 he answered. Because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. It's a world of difference. What are some things that we can learn from this parable this morning? I just, I just have a few thoughts for you um, that I think are really important for us as a church and as followers of Jesus. Are you ready? Here's the first one is this is that when God is at work, the enemy is too. When God is at work, the enemy is too. It's what we talked about last week in that first parable. You know, the birds come and eat up the seeds. I'm talking a lot about seeds because Jesus told a lot of parables about seeds. But he says in this parable, there's, there's an enemy, there's another who dislikes this guy, and he comes at night in the cover of darkness, and he throws his seed amongst this good field with, with good seed. And this parable is reminding us, as followers of Jesus, and I think this won't shock any of us, is that this world is not rainbows and roses. Right? That there is an enemy. That there is one who seeks to destroy and to hurt and to, and, and to ruin what God has planted. If God is at work, the enemy is too. Now, unfortunately, for those that grew up when I grew up, when we think about the enemy, we think about Looney Tunes cartoons, right? When we think about the little angel, you know, dressed in a white robe, playing a heart on this side... And we think of the little devil, you know, on this side with his little pitchfork and he's whispering bad things in one ear and the other one is whispering good things in the other ear. And we think, you know, that's, that's the battle. But it's much worse than that. It's much real, more real than that. Because Jesus says that he doesn't 
approach us out in the open, whispering in our ear. But the parable says that he comes in the cover of darkness when we're not ready and we're not expecting and we're not watching and he sows his seed then. It's that discouragement. It's the jabs. It's the harsh words from people who say that they love you. It's, it's that stuff. Who sh- should care and who should know better, but they don't. And Jesus says this. He says, don't be surprised. Right? Don't be surprised. As a matter of fact, he actually, or, or Peter actually uses those exact words in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. I want you to read it with me. Are you ready? He says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. He says, don't be surprised. Now, what Peter was talking about was literal fiery trials. I mean, the persecuted church, Christians losing their lives all around. And and he's saying, don't be surprised. Don't act as if this is something that's strange. Because it's not. It's calculated. It's real. It happens. And the reason that the enemy is against you, it's because he hates what God loves. He hates what God loves. When God is at work, the enemy is too. So what does that mean? Are you ready? Just three quick thoughts. One, don't be discouraged by it. Don't be discouraged. If we know it's going to happen, we don't need to be surprised. We don't need to be discouraged because we know it's there. I remember one of the very first youth retreats that I ever took my kids on um, as a youth years ago. And I, I took like 50 kids on this retreat. Man, they were worshiping God and kids were getting saved and it was absolutely amazing. And of course, still being teenagers, if you can imagine at a camp retreat, Adults trying to keep, you know, corralled together. It's, it's a little bit of a controlled chaos if you've never been to something like that before. And we're accepting Christ and, and God and inhibitions and praying out loud and doing these amazing things. And, and I brought them home on a Sunday night and, and I got up on Monday morning to go into the office and I, I, I swore that they were going to have like a red carpet waiting for me and a band there to celebrate the triumphant youth pastor with the amazing retreat and all the kids that were saved. And and I was like, this is going to be amazing. Yes, they're going to celebrate what we did over the weekend. And the first thing I heard was, "Um, Jared, you realize you didn't clean the van last night when you parked it in the parking lot, right? I was like, well, yeah, I, I didn't. I'm really sorry about that. And you forgot to fill it up with gas. Yeah, I, I, I mean, we got in really late, and I was pretty tired. I didn't sleep for like two nights at all. I mean, you got to stay up with all these teenagers acting crazy. It's just part of the package for the weekend. I'm really sorry I didn't get that done. Oh, and, and I got a call from a parent this morning who's pretty upset because of that one kid who was lighting his toots on fire. Did you know that there was a kid doing that? You know, are you okay with that? And I was just like... No, I'm not okay with that. That's not appropriate. But it, 
But kids were getting saved this weekend. They were, and, and, and the discouragement was just like, blah, blah, blah. And I walked into my office and I was like, where's the party? Where's the celebration? Where's the band declaring, Jared, you're an amazing youth pastor? None of those happened. Can't, but I can't be discouraged by it. Don't be discouraged when the stuff of this world happens because we know it's going to happen. Don't be discouraged. Don't let it sap your joy. It's just part of life. Here's the second thing. Are you ready? Is don't become focused on it. Don't become focused on it. This popped in my head. I think it's true. I'm going to say it as it is. But what you focus on is what you give life to. What you focus on is what you give life to. I remember my dad taught me to hunt. Um, Started out hunting squirrels together. There's nothing... I mean, I was a 12-year-old boy, and I had a little 410 shotgun in my hand, and we'd go out in the woods together. And, and um, the first few times we went, I would just follow him around, and he'd shoot the squirrels, and I'd pick them up and put them in my bag, and I was like the glorified, you know, golden retriever, retrieving the things that he, he shot. But, but I remember when he finally handed me the gun, he said, okay, you're going to shoot the next one. And I was following him in the woods, and he said, okay, there it is. There's that mean, aggressive squirrel that we're now going to kill and eat for lunch. You know, not really, but... And, and, um, and I'm watching, and, and he says, you see it, right? I said, yeah, I see it, Dad. He says, you got it in your sights, right? And I had my little gun up, and yeah, I see it, Dad. It was right there on the side of a tree. It was just staring at us. He says, okay, whenever you're ready, pull the trigger. And so I'm looking at that squirrel at the end of the barrel, and I pull the trigger, and, and poof, bark. Just Bark. Just bark. My dad looks at me and says, what are you shooting at? The squirrel that was on the side of the tree. He says, the squirrel was three feet in front of us sitting on the ground. There was no squirrel. He's like, there was no squirrel on the tree. But it's what I saw. I saw it in my head. I thought that was a squirrel on the tree. And it was just a little piece of bark that looked like a squirrel on the tree. But because I focused on it, I gave it life. My dad said, I said, Dad, well, why didn't you stop me? He said, because I thought you were aiming at another squirrel that I didn't see. I just saw the one that was right there in front of you. What we focus on, we give life to. There's incredible power in focus. Focus light becomes what? A laser, right? Focus light is a laser. Focused heat can cut through steel in the form of a blowtorch, right? Can a blowtorch cut through steel? I think it can, yeah. But it can cut through it because it's focused. There's power in our focus. And when we focus on the enemy and we, all we see is him behind every corner, we take our eyes off of Jesus and we give him power and we take it away from him. Now what that means is, is that we don't become focused on him, but, but we do become aware of him. We don't give him our attention. We don't give him our focus. We don't give him our undivided, just always looking for him, because when we do, we give him power. We focus on Jesus. Don't become focused on the enemy. Here's another thing, is don't be a part of the enemy. Don't be a part of it. You know what will destroy the church? It's not the government. Anytime the government has seek to suppress the church, guess what the church does? 
It flourishes. When the government gets involved and says, hey, you guys can't meet anymore, guess what happens? The church explodes. Look throughout history. Anytime the church was oppressed by a government, it exploded and took off. It's not the government. It is not even our social, our social world around us, social media, the community. That won't kill the church either. You know what will kill the church? Us. It'll be us. It'll be our unkind words. It'll be us and the way we treat each other. It's, it's usually mostly good people, mostly good people who occasionally do the wrong things that ends up hurting people the most. It's things like gossip. You know what gossip is? Well, let's, let's say this. Gossip is, it's a sin, right? But gossip is saying untrue things or things that you're unsure of to other people who aren't a part of the situation. So it's saying, you know, Amir, of, of, of this guy named Kevin over here, you won't believe what I didn't see it. I just heard it. That, that's gossip, right? And that's what? Say it. Sin. Slant, it might be true, Kevin. <laughs> you know what slander is? Slander is a sin. But slander is saying things that you know to be true because they're about you and that person. So slander, hey, Amir, you won't believe what to me. Yeah, you won't believe what Kevin said to me. He I'm just using it as an example. But that's Kevin. Response is, well, well, did you talk to Kevin? Have you tried to work it out with Kevin? No. And I'm not going to. You should know what type of person he is. That's, that's slander. And slander is a what? It's a sin. It's a sin. It's when we don't confront in love when we disagree. Now look, it's okay to disagree with people. It's okay to... To, to not be on the same page about everything. I mean, we all have our own identities. We're all individual people. We all have things that we may not be in agreement on. It is, it's certainly okay. But we do it the way Jesus said to do it. When he says, hey, if you have something against your brother and sister in Christ, you go to them and you talk with them about it. And if you can't get into an agreement then, then you take it to the leaders of the church and you talk to the leaders of church about it with them. And if you can't get it right then, then you take it to the whole church. But you do it in proper order. Does that make sense? It's, don't be a part of it. Don't be a part of it. Here's a second thought. Is that not everyone who looks like a Christian is one. It's not everyone who... Uh, it's the old anecdote that just because you hang out in a garage, it doesn't make you a car, Right? Or a mechanic. I've been in a few garages and I can't do either. That's not what makes you a car. And just because you come to church and you wear the t-shirt doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. Do you know what makes you a follower of Jesus? You ready? It's when you follow Jesus. It's when you live his way in this world and you surrender your life to him and you say, you know, the scripture says if you confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead, you shall be saved. It's doing what Jesus said to do in this world. That's what makes you a follower of Jesus. Have you ever heard of a brood parasite? 
A brood parasite is a bird. A cuckoo is, is an actual bird, just in case you don't, didn't know that. And, and a cowbird is an actual bird. And they're called brood parasites. And what they do is, is that they find nests that other birds have made and laid eggs in, and then they lay their eggs in that nest with those other Somehow, their bodies have created this way to mimic the eggs of the other birds in that area. And so they lay eggs that look like a robin's egg, in, in the case of a cowbird, but it, it isn't a robin's egg. And unfortunately, that cowbird's egg develops faster and quicker than those other birds do, and they're actually developed larger. And so when they're growing, they outgrow the other birds, and they're able to reach up higher whenever the mama bird comes in to feed them. And, and they look similar, but they're not. Not everyone who's a Christian or looks like a Christian is one. That's what Jesus warned us in Matthew chapter 7. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does what? The will of my Father who is in heaven. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Here's another thought from this story. Is that not everyone who looks like a weed is a weed. Just because they look the part doesn't mean they actually are. One of the hardest days of my life as a pastor was just about a month ago when one of my teenage boys that was in my last youth group died in a motorcycle accident. And I knew he really liked to ride motorcycles. He threw, got thrown off the motorcycle and hit a cattle guard gate and broke his neck and, and died at 19 years old two weeks before. I knew he liked motorcycles and he liked to ride motorcycles with the Christian Motorcycle Association. And, um, but I wasn't prepared for his wedding, or wedding, for his funeral. I guess it was a wedding, entering into heaven at the same time. But his funeral, when, when I sat down with the family, and I looked to my left, and there were over Christian Motorcycle Association bikers sitting in that worship. For a 19-year-old boy. And they look rough. They had the, the leather on, and the hair and look like that they had been out in the sun all day long because guess what? They had been out in the sun because they all rode their to the funeral. They had the tattoos up and down their arms. They were wearing their colors. And, 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 when, and, and you just look at them, you just look like, okay, I knew he hung out with guys that like to ride motorcycles, but I was thinking like other 19-year-old boys that rode like little you know Japanese motorcycles. I wasn't thinking 50 and 40-year-old men that look like bikers riding around on Harleys. But that's who was there at that funeral. And all of these judgments went through my head of, of, of things that I've thought about bikers when I've seen them on the road. Scrolled through my head until we started singing a worship song and they all stood up and raised their hands. It's one of the most powerful moments I've ever witnessed. These dudes and these ladies dressed up and looking the parts of these crazy bikers worshiping Jesus in a way that I very seldom see. In a funeral. And I thought, that, that is this story. That's those people that we think are weeds, 
but they're not. Not everybody who looks like a weed is one. We look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? The heart. That's the story of David. When he was chosen as king, Samuel went to David's father and says, hey, gather all your sons. One of your sons is going to be the next king. So he gathered them all. Well, he said he gathered them all. And Samuel says, no, no, I mean, it can't be one of these because none of these are going to be king. And he says, well, we, I mean, we got David out in the pasture. Bring him. So he brought David. The scripture says that he was just a, a rugged, ruddy, handsome guy. That's all we know. He's little. He was handsome. He was rugged. And Samuel says, 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord, he looks at the heart. And if that's true, if it's true that, that not every person who looks like a weed is a weed, if that's true, then there's just a couple things we need to know. One is that don't criticize other people. Don't criticize. Criticism kills. Criticism kills. Listen, you don't know the whole truth. You don't. You have your partial knowledge of a situation plus your very, very wonderful creative imagination. And when you criticize, you put those two things together and you assume you have all the information when you really don't. It's just partial. Now that doesn't mean we don't confront because we do have to confront from time to time. But when we do confront people, we confront people with kindness and we confront them with confusion, not with criticism. We say things, hey, I think I see this, but I'm not quite sure. Can you please help me understand? I want to know where your heart is. When you criticize weeds, you know what you do? You demoralize them. People that you think are weeds, you demoralize them. That's the second thing. Don't demoralize others. We live in a tough enough world as it is. Don't add to other people's pain. Don't hurt them. Build them up. Bring healing and hope and joy to people's lives. The scripture says in Hebrews, to spur one another towards good deeds and love. I dare you to read Paul's letters and to count how many times he says to encourage one another, to love one another, to treasure one another, to help one another. I promise you, if you don't have a pen and paper, you will lose count. Don't demoralize others. Here's a third one, just real quick. Don't demonize others. Here's what we do. I say we, just as human beings, we assume the worst. We imprint evil intentions on people and we make demons out of them. And can I just tell you, they're just people that need love and encouragement, whose hearts feel pain also, who God may want you to be the person that helps heal it. Don't demonize the people that God asks us to love. Don't impart evil intentions on people that you just don't know the whole story. And here's one last thought for you this morning. Are you ready? God will judge others. You keep an eye on you. Go back to the story. What does Jesus say in this parable? He says his workers come. Landowner, do you want us to uh, 
You want us to pull out the weeds? And what does the landowner say? No. Don't pull the weeds. Because you know what you might do? You might pull up the wheat too. Because you're not really good at picking. So let's just wait until the end when I have a chance to gather everything together. And then, and then I'll do the sorting. I'll, I'll handle that. Um, I, I don't want to hurt people Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, do not judge. You know why? Because you too will be judged. Now, what that doesn't mean is that we don't use wisdom and we don't, um, we don't use common sense from time to time to look at someone's behavior and choices and, and, and try to understand. But what we don't do is hold the gavel in our hands. We don't pronounce judgment on people. I think I put it in your notes. Be wise and discerning about people, but leave the gavel in God's hands. Leave the gavel in his. Leave the gavel in his. Let him, let him handle that at the end. See, we live in a world um, where there's an enemy at pace. There's an enemy at work trying to destroy. have the opportunity to not participate in that and bring healing and hope and joy and, and help to people in a world that desperately But we don't do it by others. We don't do it by convicting other people and calling them this or that because what we think we know, we usually don't. We let God do that. 